One constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender. Just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Coming to you from the BTG studios in Rochester, New York, this is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. With me, as always, is Zach Barletta. Sports talk without the trash talk. Coming up on this week's edition of the Beyond the Game, we got a lot to get to, Zach. we got some things that I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective because we usually agree. But I think we're going to disagree a little this week. I think you are absolutely right. So there we are agreeing again. Oh, man. Robert Griffin III has signed a contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Johnny Manziel is scheduled to play in a couple of spring league games this week in his attempt to get back to the NFL. I think I'm like most people and that I love a good comeback story. We'll talk about redemption. We'll talk about how Manziel, while I want to root for him, sometimes just makes it difficult. I'll tell you what I mean later in the program. And Zach didn't care for my support of fans booing. Yankee slugger Giancarlo Stanton after he went 0 for 5, striking out five times in his Yankee Stadium debut in pinstripes. I supported the booing. Zach did not. Just like the Minnesota Twins did not care for what the Orioles did in the ninth inning of a Twins victory. Once again, it seems either baseball's unwritten rules have gotten another interpretation or perhaps the Twins are, are guilty of being overly legalistic about how the game should be played We'll get into that a bit more on the other side of the break. Zach has new shenanigan statements, great shenanigan statements this week. We'll tell you what it is that we like this week from the world of sports. That's all coming up on today's Beyond the Game program. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Come on back. We'll get it started right after this. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back into the show. I'm Rick Benson. With me, of course, is Zach Barletta, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram 
I questioned last week on the program why Major League Baseball felt it had to start the season so early. Certainly nothing all that astute, certainly nothing even all that original. I'm sure many others have wondered the same thing, but clearly the weather through much of the country, Zach, has just been less than ideal for baseball. It's been terrible. In fact, it's been terrible. Right, exactly right. The Yankees' home opener in the Bronx was snowed out, and so they played the game the next day, which uh, originally scheduled to be an off day. Really, the conditions were terrible. Uh, You know, you didn't have snow sitting on the ground, but it was cold, it was rainy, there was flurries. Here's the thing about baseball. Why baseball is so great. Most of the time, baseball players are smart enough to wait for a better day. Unlike football, unlike soccer, unlike other outdoor sports, when it's raining, baseball players have enough sense to just simply wait until the weather is better. I love that about baseball. Why in the world are you playing in such lousy conditions? So with a whole season ahead of them, why didn't they wait and reschedule that game? We're only a week into the season. You got a whole season's worth of baseball, and you're playing the Rays, which you're seeing a bunch of times anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's very intelligent people out there who make these decisions, and there must be some logistical reason they didn't do that. But as a fan, and even as a fan sitting there, it had to be horrible. I mean, this place was practically empty. Yeah. Well, but even watching it on TV was awful. Well, like you said, they're playing the Rays. Why wouldn't you schedule the opening series with the Rays in Tampa? Why did you make that in New York to, you know, that's, that's a this great early point. in the year? I don't understand it. I think they said the paid attendance was 46,000. The game, the game was a sellout, but there was no way there was 46,000 there. There was only a fraction of that. There number. was like 46. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was nobody there. Look, there are a few people. We've said this before, you and I, who love baseball as much as we do. We love the game. But if it means cutting some games off, and starting a little later in the year and getting it over a little, yes, please do that. I'm not talking months. Just starting a couple of weeks later. Give the players a longer off season. Get the thing done by the third week of October. And don't start spring training until March 1st. Why Why is it so important? Just cut a few. Look, I know it comes down to dollars, obviously, but this is an ugly look for base. The Tigers had six-game homestand scheduled. Mm-hmm. I think they played three of them. They did. And the three they played were in terrible conditions. Yeah, it was brutal. Those New York conditions didn't seem to bother Didi Gregoria so much, did it? (laughs) Not at all. Oh, wow. Eight RBIs, two home runs. Easily one of the most, if not the most, underrated player in the game. Would you agree? I would, yeah. I don't know how he flies under the radar. I mean, of course, you got guys like Aaron Judge, guys like uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton and uh, even Gary Sanchez, who seems to be getting more attention than Didi Gregorius. Mm. And Didi has, since he's come to New York, has just been one of the best players, most consistent players, most fun players to watch. Who doesn't like watching Didi Gregorius? Oh, my gosh, yeah. With all the little antics that he does and, and the tweets. And the th- amazing thing about the tweets that he sends out after the game, never talks about himself, even yeah. when it's deserved doesn't talk about himself. He's always talking about his teammates. You watch the interview. He just had an eight RBI game, two home runs in the Yankees' home opener, and in his post-game interview, did nothing about uh, but talk about his teammates. They were talking about that on the broadcast. Is there like somebody said? I wonder how 
Didi's going to tweet about this game after because he always does the tweet. And they said, well, you know, he never will tweet about himself. He, he has emojis for everyone on the team but himself, and he won't tweet about himself. And I really appreciate that. You know, I, I that's really refreshing to Probably see. Probably something many Christians could learn and take a lesson from that. You know, his joy for what he's doing and the humility with which he does it. I mean, really, those conditions were terrible, but can't imagine anybody would enjoy those conditions. But you couldn't tell by watching Didi Gregorius. He was smiling. He was just having a good time playing. And unlike the Yankees' newest star, Giancarlo Stanton, who had an awful, I mean, just an awful home opener, 0 for 5, 5 strikeouts, 5 strikeouts. I mean, come on, man, not even a weak dribbler back to the mound, not even something just booted out to the infield. It was a just a terrible performance. And in his Yankee Stadium debut as a member of the Yankees, no less, and as is typically the case during most Yankee games, a group of us were texting back and forth throughout the game. We were all watching, and after Michael Kay said that the crowd was harsh because they booed him as he returned to the dugout after his fifth strikeout of the game, I texted out that I, I didn't think that was all that harsh at all. The guy is making more money than the leader of the free world, and he couldn't even get a weak dribbler back to the mound? Uh, look, now, of course, you disagreed with my opinion on that. You didn't care for that much, saying that it's not like he was trying to do poorly. Yeah, I just, first of all, I have an issue with booing your own home players. I understand you paid a lot of money to be there. You want to see hit Stanton hit a home run. You don't want to see him strike out five times. But it's not like the guy doesn't care. It's not like he's trying to, to have a bad game. It just happens sometimes. And, you know, of course, in his first step at the next day, he hits the hardest hit home run of the season. So, <laughs> he did. you know, those fans just happen to go on the wrong day. Sorry for them, but it happens. Of course, he wasn't trying to strike out. I get that. And I'm certain he feels badly about his performance. I'm sure he wanted to do better. But as I said to you, the next day, the crowd may very well cheer him. And obviously they did. He was obviously coming up to the plate looking to redeem himself for those five strikeouts. But on this day, on the home opener, he was the worst player in the league on that day. Mm-hmm. Oh, for five with five strike. I don't view it, Zach, as booing the guy. I, this is nothing personal. I'm booing that performance. That was a lousy performance. And I'm letting you know, look, I, I saw I'm not, this is, has nothing to do with you, your career as a ball player. What this has to do with was an 0 for 5 game where you came out and you stunk. I know you didn't try to stink, but you stunk. I wouldn't expect him to stink every day. I wouldn't boo him every day. Yesterday is soon forgotten. Tomorrow is a new day. He's a professional. I'm quite sure he won't, he wouldn't let the sounds of the boos echo in his ear for too long. My favorite verse of scripture is Philippians 3.13. It says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And we disagree on that, which is fine. We we can disagree. You're a softy. I want to see the guy lived <laughs> up to his paycheck. Ain't nobody paying him millions of dollars to strike out five times. But there was something else which happened that I'm interested to get your perspective to see if it'll differ from mine. Last Sunday... The Twins beat the Orioles 7-zip. Jose Barrios got his first career complete game, gave up only three hits in the shutout, pitched a great game. But in the ninth, O's catcher Chance Sisko bunted against the shift with one out. Seemingly unnerved, maybe evenly annoyed, but it seemed to get in his head. 
Berrios then walked Chris Davis. He served up a single to Manny Machado. He loaded the bases before settling back in and getting out of the jam by getting the next two guys. One was on a pop-out, one was on a strikeout. But obviously that bunt seemed to unnerve him a little bit. What do they want the Orioles to do? Just roll over? They were annoyed that he bunted against the shift. In my opinion, if you're shifting against the hitter with a seven-run lead, then you're still playing hard, so how can you fault the other team for doing the same? It's like a big league and big lead in basketball. If you're going to continue to play defense, then I'm going to shoot. Yeah. You know, if you're going to play hard defense, I'm still going to shoot. Barrios was going for a complete game. He wasn't going for a no hitter, though I guess at the time it was still a one hitter. Still, that's nice, but it's not a no hitter. I, I didn't understand. Do you agree with them? Should they have been upset that? He was bunting against the shift in the ninth inning. No, absolutely not. I would go so far as to say, I don't even think it's bad to bunt to break up a no-hitter or a perfect game. You're still playing a game. You're still playing hard and trying to win it. You know, 7 nothing in the ninth inning is a big deficit to overcome, but we've seen it happen. You know, you I don't think you can tell this kid, Chan Sisko, who's in his first major league season, he shouldn't be trying to get on base and start a rally. That's his job. That's what he gets paid to do. So I'm sorry, you know, it was mostly Brian Dozier of the Twins, but look, I like Brian Dozier a lot, but he's out of line. Yeah, see, I do disagree with you in the fact that you get to the ninth inning, somebody's got a no-hitter going, if you're going to break it up, break it up legit. I I do understand, I respect what you're saying, the guy's still playing. I was at Jim Abbott's no-hitter, I think it was, was that 1993? Uh, Yankees down, sitting in right field was most, one of the, greatest games I've ever been at because it was so electric. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget nor forgive Kenny Lofton bunting in the ninth inning to try to break up the no-hitter. I don't remember the score. I, I don't think it was 7 nothing. What I do remember is that bunt, and I thought it was just cheap. And if it was a no-hitter, I would say, no, don't bunt. You know, get a hit at that point. We're not talking the fifth inning, fourth inning, sixth inning. We're talking the ninth inning of a no-hitter. But this was a one-hitter that Barrios was going. That's completely different. Mm -hmm. And as you say, we've seen teams come back from seven runs not very often. But I, I just I couldn't disagree with what the Twins more. You mentioned Brian Dozier. He said this. Obviously, we're not a fan of it. He's a young kid. I could have said something at second base, but they have tremendous veteran leadership over there. What are you going to say? Shame on you for trying? Hey, kid, you know, don't try. It's the ninth inning. We want to go home. Berrios himself said, I don't care if he's bunting. I just know it's not good for baseball in that situation. That's it. Bad for baseball? What do you, sure. Especially for the Orioles brand. Now, you don't want fans to see you trying very hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, I doubt that the Twins would have had a problem had it been their guy. Do you think, what would the Twins have done had, it, had the roles been reversed? Yeah, they'd still be playing to try to win the game. I'm not sure if this is an instance of, baseball's many silly unwritten rules or if it's the differing interpretation and maybe application of those rules which is of the issue here which is the problem i do know this there is room of course for personal interpretation for personal perspective but sometimes players get carried away with this unwritten rules thing it almost becomes like the rule is more important than the game itself not bunting against the shift in the ninth inning, when down by seven runs, being prioritized over trying to get back in the game 
Well, that somehow seems out of place. It seems as if pride is sprouting legalism. There can be disagreement on whether or not it's okay to bunce against the shift, especially when down by seven. We can disagree on that. But unless one side or the other is so belligerent about it and, and so obstinate that it damages a relationship, then there really is no harm in having, having a different point of view on it. And if one side is that belligerent, well, then there's a deeper issue anyway. You and Isaac can disagree on whether it's okay to boo our own guy when they have a lousy performance and strike out five times. But again, unless we allow it to become some sort of divide in our relationship, well, there's really no harm in disagreeing on that. The harm comes when we start insisting that our interpretation be enforced as law. These are our opinions, after all. These are not the Word of God. I would guess that the sin most widespread, the sin most tolerated maybe in the church is legalism. A law or rule on itself isn't necessarily wrong. It isn't sinful. But when we insist on that law, which isn't ordained by God, when we insist on that law because it satisfies our prideful desires, well, then it becomes sin. When it elevates ourself by enforcing that rule, well, then it then it becomes sinful. Insisting that your 15-year-old be in by a certain time, well, that just makes good sense. There's nothing legalistic or wrong in that. But for me to insist that to be an officer in the church or to be involved in a ministry that I'm in, that that person must never be out after that same certain time, well, that is legalistic. You know, I, I've often said, you know this, that nothing good happens eleven after 11 o'clock at night. Now, that's just my opinion. That's just me being silly. Obviously, good things happen, but for the most part, it doesn't. It may make good sense to be in by 11 o'clock, but I can't make that some sort of rule and say, you know, this 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 is how it needs to be. I can with my 15-year-old. I can't with people that are adults serving in my ministry. It wasn't the adulterers. It wasn't the thieves that put Jesus on the cross. Remember, it was legalists. Legalism distorts the gospel message because it perverts the grace of God. When you study the life of Christ, I think it's interesting to see how often he seems to provoke legalists. He could have healed people on any other day of the week, but he often seemed to do it on the Sabbath. When a Pharisee in Luke chapter 11 invited Jesus to dinner, Jesus could have uh, just gone along with their elaborate hand-washing custom that they had, but he deliberately ignored it. And when they questioned him about it, he took that opportunity to rip into them about their hypocrisy. God seeks our heart. A right relationship with God flows from the heart. God transforms our hearts when we give our hearts to him. But while legalistic religious leaders seemingly are seeking after God, in reality what they're seeking is their own righteousness. They, they're establishing what's good on their own. They're doing it in their own words and completely sidestepping God's grace. They don't see the need for grace because they see themselves as good people because they keep these laws. I heard it said that legalism puts the emphasis on the external to the neglect of the internal. Instead of seeing a guy competing until the final out of a game, what the twins saw was a guy bunting against their shift and extending a game which really they considered to be over. I have a real disdain for too much structure too many rules within the church, not because those things don't have a place, of course they have a place, but because they place more emphasis on 
man instead of on the cross. They replace grace with works. Instead of just relying on God's grace, there's these sets of rules that we must follow. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Again, they have their place. But too often, it leads to ministry leaders relying on their own ideas, relying on their own strength instead of seeking God in every detail. Instead of moving forward, following God, legalism seems to put God in the back seat and those leaders steer the car. In an effort to do much for God, they end up simply moving papers around their desk. Sure, they're, they're busy, but it's not always effective. Instead of doing much for God, we should make much of God, waiting for his leading, relying on his strength, taking every opportunity to praise and proclaim his grace. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. It's by his grace that sinners are transformed into men and women who love God and love others. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So glad to have you along as we go through this hour together along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Reviewing the week in Roberts Wesleyan College Athletics, this is the Red Hawks Recap for the week covering up through April 4th. The Red Hawks Recap being brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. Congratulations to women's lacrosse midfielder Taylor Nathan, who for the third time this season has been named the East Coast Conference Rookie of the Week. The freshman leads the team in goals this season with 26 and is third on the team in overall points with 28. Also getting accolades this week was Roberts Wesleyan standout senior sprinter Chelsea Hayward. On Monday, Hayward was named the NCCAA Women's Track and Field Student Athlete of the Week for her performance at the recent Pepsi Florida Relays hosted by the University of Florida. On the field, the men's lacrosse team lost to number 14 LIU Post last Saturday, falling 16-10. Senior Alex Bianchi scoring four goals and sophomore Cody Menzies adding three in the home loss. Men's tennis lost to Southern New Hampshire University last Friday 8-1 and then again to Franklin Pierce University on Saturday 6-3. They were tripped up one more time on Tuesday at Damon College 7-2. On the women's side, though, it was the opposite story as they defeated SNHU on Friday 5-4 before sweeping Franklin Pierce on Saturday 9-0. No home games in the week ahead for the Red Hawks athletics teams, but you can see the full schedule of games at their website, robertsredhawks.com. There you can also get news, scores, game highlights, and more. And don't forget that you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Recap presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. 
Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program, sports talk without the trash talk. Beyond the Game is recorded in Rochester, New York, but regardless of where you are, you can listen to the podcast by visiting our website, btgprogram.com, or by finding it on iTunes and other podcast sources like Google Play. And of course, you have the option to subscribe and have it downloaded automatically each and every week. The podcast is listened to regularly in England, Ireland, other places around the world. We even had listeners in Australia this past week. And of course, it's also downloaded and heard throughout the United States in places like Fullerton, California. Back in 1966, Jackson Brown graduated from Sunny Hills High School in Fullerton, California, as did the kid, the late Gary Carter. Carter actually, I don't know that it was 1966, but he graduated from Sunny Hills High School in Fullerton, California. Carter played quarterback, actually, there in high school, as well as baseball. Had signed a letter of intent to play football for UCLA before changing his mind and signing a baseball contract with the Montreal Expos after they drafted him in 1972. Former Angels and Cardinals center fielder, played for a few other teams as well, but the bulk of his career there, Jim Edmonds, was born in Fullerton. Four-time Olympic gold medalist swimmer Janet Evans, born in Fullerton. Leo Fender, the man behind the Fender Stratocaster guitar, made his home in Fullerton, died there back in 1991. Wow. His influence, obviously, I would think, having some impact on the great music heritage that Fullerton enjoys. Many punk rock bands and progressive synth pop acts originating out of California, Fullerton, California, that is. Yankee third base coach Phil Nevin was also born in Fullerton, as were many other fine, upstanding, and extremely good-looking people. Thanks for listening in <laughs> Fullerton, California, wherever you're listening from today. We're glad to have you along. Zach, why don't you give us this week's shenanigan statements? All right. Last Saturday, Phillies rookie manager Gabe Kapler removed starting pitcher Vince Velazquez in the third inning and brought in reliever Hobie Milner, except he forgot to have Milner warm up first. <laughs> So there was nobody warm in the pen. Umpire Jerry Lane gave Milner extra time to warm up out of concern for a possible arm injury, which led to Braves, the Braves manager, Brian Snitker, being ejected for arguing Lane's decision. Truth or shenanigans, Lane was right to give Milner extra warm-up pitches. Yeah, I agree he was. I get where the Braves are coming from. I do. I'm not sure that's how the rule is written, but I think Lane did the right thing in extending grace in the situation to allow Milner to warm up. The conditions this spring, as we've already mentioned, they've been terrible in many places. And I'm not sure what the conditions there were that particular day, but it's just not worth getting somebody hurt. And even on a great day for baseball, a pitcher needs time to get loose. And even though it was a result of Kapler's miscommunication, not think, I don't, whatever it was, it was Kapler's fault. The right thing is is to not make things worse by enforcing a rule that really isn't going to disadvantage anybody all that much. I get what the Braves are saying. You really weren't disadvantaged all that much. You don't want to see anybody get hurt. I I think rules are rules, but there are times where I think it's okay to break them, and this was one of them. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree with the statement. I understand why the Braves were upset, because they may have felt that, you know, had he not warmed up, he would have been wild, they would have had more base runners, whatever. It's not worth risking an injury to a guy. Yep. So in the interest of 
not allowing the guy to be injured. And as far as I can tell, the rules say it's at the umpire's discretion, and he had the ability to do that, which he did. I think it's fine. Yep, I agree. On Sunday, national superstar Bryce Harper smashed his second homer of the game immediately after a fan chanted, overrated, at him. Harper was the National League MVP in 2015 when he hit 42 homers and batted 330, but despite his prodigious talent, he hasn't hit more than 29 homers in any other season. Truth or shenanigans, Bryce Harper is overrated. Shenanigans. Look, I'd take 29 home runs. The fact that some people overlook 20 home, 29 home runs says an awful lot about whether or not he's overrated. You know, he, he, their expectations are pretty high on guys like Harper, much higher than they are on other players. So I don't think he's overrated. He's had to deal with some injuries during his career, which is unfortunate, but when healthy, he's a tremendous hitter. He's a tremendous player. I think all 30 teams, all 30 fan bases, would want Bryce Harper on their side. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to get the largest contract ever coming up at the end of the season when he's a free agent, and this is amongst an epic free agent class. So, no, I don't think he's overrated at all. I agree as well uh, with you. I say shenanigans on a statement. Bryce Harper is as talented a ball player as you'll ever see. And, look, I know people say that, you know, he, he look, he's going to get $400 million. Nobody's worth $400 million. Bryce Harper might be. I know he's had trouble staying on the field because he plays so hard. He's always running into walls and stuff. But the next time we get a full season of Bryce Harper, we might be amazed at the numbers that he puts up. I don't think there's any way that he's overrated. Yeah, one of the things you'll take away from this is don't get all up in the guy's face about him being overrated. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he might hit one out. <laughs> yeah. Last weekend, Raiders head coach John Gruden cut punter Marquette King, even though King has consistently been one of the top punters in the league. Rumors say Gruden didn't like King's free-spirited personality, and this was just the latest in a series of questionable off-season roster moves by Gruden. So, truth or shenanigans, John Gruden's coaching tenure with the Raiders will be short and terrible. What do you think, buddy? I think so. Yeah, I do too. Um, I was excited to see him come back in the league. He's a great personality, and he's fun to watch when he goes into Chucky mode or whatever it is. But just about every move he's made this off-season has been puzzling to me. And we have that quote from him where, he said he wants to take football back to 1999 or whatever. And look, buddy, the league's way different. The football you played in 1999 is not going to work. So it's going to be interesting to watch because he's got that 10-year, $100 million contract. Halfway through year two, if the Raiders realize it's not working out, what do they do? You know, So that's going to be something really interesting to watch. I agree with you. I agree with the statement that his tenure will be short. I don't know what the Raiders were thinking and – this is nothing new. I've said it then. How do you give a guy 10 years when he's been in the broadcast booth for the last decade or whatever mm -hmm. it was? Every year when his name would pop up in connection to nearly every college or pro coaching opening, I would question why. He won a Super Bowl. Sure, I get it. But for the most part, didn't he do that with Tony Dungy's guys? Mm -hmm. He certainly knows quarterbacks, I, I guess. But I remember a number of very average years for his teams, very average seasons. I, mm -hmm. Look, this might be a place where we can have the overrated discussion. Yeah. Well, it, he's a guy that has this reputation for some reason as an offensive genius. But his teams that won, won with defense. They didn't win because of John Gruden. So uh, I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to watch. On Monday, a rumor leaked that a close friend of Browns general manager John Dorsey had told the media the Browns were going to draft quarterback Josh Allen with the number one pick and running back Saquon Barkley at number four. Truth or shenanigans, this new Browns rumor is just a smokescreen. Why don't you go first here as well? 
I think just about everything that comes out this time of year is just a smoke train. <laughs> this especially. Right. John Dorsey is, you know, he's sitting on a decision that's going to alter the long-term fate of a long-suffering franchise. He has to get this right. He has to make sure he gets the players that he wants. I don't think he's just going to be telling everybody what the team's plans are. If you got a friend who can't keep his mouth shut, are you going to go and tell him what your plans are to change the Browns franchise? You know, like, I just don't see him telling somebody with loose lips this kind of information. So the fact that uh, an unnamed friend of the general manager is the source here makes me say shenanigans. Yeah, I I agree that it is just a smokescreen. I don't know why that the Browns would need to employ it. You got the number one pick. You don't need to set anybody else off mm-hmm. you know, on some bunny trail. You've got the number one pick, but... Josh Allen is an incredible talent and a guy I would love for my Giants to draft, but he's a bit of a project. He needs a situation where he can sit a year or two and develop. And with all the picks that Brown has, I don't get the sense that there is a lot of patience there. Not in the front office, not in the fan base. and They don't have time to have a guy sitting behind and developing. They can't afford to draft another project. They have Tyrod Taylor, and you know I've been – Never been convinced of his ability as a starter. He's not the guy that Allen should be sitting behind. Mm-hmm. My suspicion is that the Browns will draft a quarterback who will compete with Taylor from day one. And if Taylor wins the job, great. But I think that'll be a week-to-week scenario in Cleveland. So I I don't see them going after Josh Allen, but he is an incredible talent, I think. And they are the Browns. And they are the Browns. So. Last but not least, trade rumors are swirling around Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. and Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski, with the Patriots being mentioned as a potential destination for Odell Beckham. So truth or shenanigans, one or both of those two superstars will change teams this month. I say shenanigans. I've heard the rumors, as we all have, but in this instance, I just think that both players are too important to their respective teams. Tom Brady obviously depends heavily on Gronkowski, but now the Patriots, we know. They can slide anybody into practically any position mm. and be successful. But at this point in Brady's career, I I have to think they'd probably want to just ride it out with things as consistent as possible. And I would say the same thing about New York with Eli Manning. I usually subscribe to the where there's smoke, there's fire theory. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I... I just don't think so. I'm not buying it, which translation means trade probably goes down as soon as we finish recording this and sometime (laughs) before it hits the airwaves. Yeah, probably. That seems to be how it goes. But uh, no, I'm with you. I call shenanigans as well. I think the only way it happens is if the Patriots trade Gronkowski and then trade for Odell Beckham Jr. I don't see any way that they trade Gronkowski and then don't replace him because they just traded Brandon Cooks. Who are they going to throw the ball to? You know, and um, that's another thing. Brandon Cooks gets traded to the Rams. The Rams were mentioned as the top target for either one of these two guys. So with the Rams out of the equation, I just don't see how it happens. No, I like I said, I don't either. The Patriots could probably trade Gronkowski and be just fine. They have such a way of always coming out favorably in these trades, and uh, they probably would again. I just think for Tom Brady's sake, they're not going to want to be in that situation. That's it for shenanigans. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit more NFL. We'll get into uh, Johnny Manziel. We haven't talked about him in a while. Come on back. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program.
is here. Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee-wee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. I'm a retired school psychologist and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. Sports talk from a faith-based perspective. It's been a while, Zach, since we've brought up Johnny Manziel on this program, and that is, I guess, apart from once or twice talking about how we both kind of hoped he'd get another shot, that be able mm-hmm. to kind of uh, get an opportunity to to see what he really can do. You yeah. know, being clean, being uh, hardworking, being nose to the grindstone type thing, seeing what he really could do. Robert Griffin the third signed a contract with the Ravens this week, and there's another guy that I'd like to see get a chance to prove himself like most people. I love stories of redemption. We all do. Calling 2018 his comeback season. Johnny Manziel will be playing in two spring league games coming up in the next week ahead. The spring league is an elite D league, something the NFL uses as a scouting event. By the way, Manziel's spring league jersey sells for 70 bucks. <laughs> you can buy anything. Yeah. You, you know, Johnny Manziel's spring league jersey for $70. A guy that flamed out famously from the NFL, and you could buy his jersey for $70. Reports are that he looks pretty good, I guess at times. Not quite consistent, but I think that comes in time. Wouldn't you Mm -hmm. agree? Yeah, I mean, the guy hasn't played in a game in years, so I think a little rust is expected. Sometimes people, though, have a hard time of getting out of their own way, and I'm not talking about something as terrible as a relapse or that he's out out in the clubs again partying wildly frankly i have no idea if he's hitting the clubs or not but this past week he made an appearance on the dan patrick show but in a strange sort of thing he seemed to blame the cleveland browns for not doing their homework when they drafted him as if they should have made some sort of accommodations for the fact that he's not an x's and o's guy manzel said if cleveland did any of their homework they would have known that I wasn't a guy who came in every day and watched film. I wasn't a guy who really knew the X's and O's of football. What a weird thing to say. Getting on the Browns for not doing their homework wouldn't seem to me like the best way to uh, go about actually getting an NFL team to offer you a contract. Yeah, it was really weird. Like, yeah, we all know that the Browns were stupid to draft you, but you behaved pretty stupidly too. The reason you flamed out is you didn't put the time in. Like it's, it was a really weird comment from him. Don't misunderstand. There's plenty of blame to go around. And the, and the Browns have, as you said, they drafted him. We all questioned that. The The Browns can be blamed for even just forcing him onto the field way sooner than he was probably ready for. By the end of the day though, Manziel's responsible 
for himself. And regardless of how much support the Browns surrounded him with, which I think they probably could have done more of, what I know about people is people are going to do what people want to do. But you can most definitely put blame on Manziel for not working as hard as he should have. I, it beyond me that you would go on a national TV show, one as large an audience as Dan Patrick enjoys, and admit to being a guy that doesn't like to do X's and O's homework and doesn't like to go in and analyze film. You think at this point you'd be going in and saying, yeah, you know, that was a mistake. And from now on, I, I, I learned from that. I'm going to be doing much more of that rather than talking about putting the blame on, on, on the Browns. Now, they didn't do their homework. I think you, we would admit that. We all questioned the wisdom of drafting Manziel. And as they have developed somewhat of a reputation for, they did a terrible job evaluating that year's draft class. The 2014 draft is considered by far one of the best over the last 10 or 12 years. It was a tremendous talent. And despite having multiple picks, they came out of that with cornerback Justin Gilbert and, of course, Manziel. And the Browns can't be completely ridiculed for uh, choosing Gilbert. He was viewed as probably the top cornerback in the draft, and it's it just did, didn't work out. He ended up a bust. But look at some of these other names taken after they had taken Gilbert. Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, Ryan Shazier, Zach Martin, C.J. Mosley, all guys who have made it to the Pro Bowl. There are others. So sure, the Browns screwed up that draft and probably others as well, and no doubt they paid played a part in Manziel's troubles, but to suggest that they should have known because he wasn't a hard worker in the locker room, it just seems like a real lack of self-awareness to me. Yeah. It's just a bad look, especially for a guy looking to rebuild his image, a, a guy looking to get back onto an NFL roster. Wouldn't it be better, as I said, to to show teams that he's identified part of his problems, that he's working to repair those problems that he's identified, to become the hardworking, willing to put in the effort, willing to be the X's and O's guys he never was. I mean, why would an NFL team take a chance on him if they think they're, he's just eventually going to blame them as he did at the Browns should he flame out again? Yeah, or if they're going to think that he's still not an X's and O's guy who doesn't know the playbook, you know? Like, the fact that he went on a show and said that is mystifying to me. You know, it, it almost seems like his whole message so far is, I stopped drinking, I deserve another chance. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The key to mercy is confession. By covering up our transgressions, by covering up our mistakes, that leads us to not prosper, according to this verse, Proverbs 28.13. And yet more and more, it seems like people will go to the farthest extremes to blame somebody else for their problems, blame something else for their problems rather than accepting fault themselves. What they don't realize is the very first step in making amends with someone is taking responsibility for ourselves, accepting ownership for our faults when it's appropriate to do so. Taking responsibility means promptly admitting when we've made a mistake, not dragging it out, not trying to make excuses for a long period of time before finally admitting that we made a mistake. Before you do anything, before you justify yourself, before you 
make excuses. Before you backpedal, admit that a mistake was made. Mistakes are how we learn. There's nothing wrong with making a mistake. There's something wrong in repeatedly making the same mistake. But mistakes are how we learn. It doesn't have to become a source of guilt. We all do it. Admitting a mistake is well, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of wisdom. The denial of that mistake, the lack of responsibility, now that's a problem. Once you've taken responsibility for a mistake, you know, the making of amends with somebody is so much easier. It becomes so much easier to go to somebody after you've accepted fault for yourself. By the way, making amends is just as much for your benefit, if not more, than for the other person. Because the other person, really, you have no control of whether or not they accept your apology. But it is for your benefit, the fact that you've owned it, the fact that you've taken responsibility. It's good for you. It's, a, as I said, a sign of maturity, a sign of wisdom. Our pride gets the best of us at times. We can be so defiant in defending ourselves. And maybe that's just an unwillingness to appear as something less than perfect. Yet we all know we're not perfect. But yet we try to put forth this image that we don't make mistakes. Admitting when we're wrong and taking responsibility, that should be part of our lifestyle. It should be part of who we are. That's what, that's what integrity is all about. The philosophy that you're not at fault in some way or that you should never be held responsible, in my opinion, is a tool of the devil. It's designed to keep people in darkness. It's designed to keep people away from Christ because coming to the point where we acknowledge our faults, where we admit our sins, is a critical part of the gospel message. It is a critical step in receiving forgiveness of sins. None of us are perfect. Because of that, none of us will be able to get to heaven on our own. The Bible says we come short of the glory of God, and as sinners, we're not, we're not able to fellowship with, with a holy God. But the beautiful part of the gospel is that even though we are guilty, even though we're guilty, we don't have to pay the penalty of our own sins. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. His sinless life was the perfect sacrifice to cover the guilt of our sins. God simply asks that we come to the point where we admit our sin, admit our mistakes, and confess and ask his forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. RG3 has his new contract with the Ravens. He'll be given an opportunity to redeem his reputation as an NFL quarterback, whether it be as a starter or a backup or whatever it is. He's going to have an opportunity to redeem himself. Johnny Manziel will have an opportunity to showcase himself in front of NFL scouts, maybe even getting an opportunity to play again in the NFL and redeem his reputation. And as a sinner, you have a chance to confess your sins to God. You have a chance to get redemption from your sins. Let me ask you, do you know for sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven? What are you basing that assurance on? How do you think one gets to heaven? Have you really ever investigated it for yourself? Have you ever sought out the truth of what the Bible says? I mean, really sought it out, really dug into it. Maybe somewhere along the line you heard something that made sense to you, or you conjured up something in your own mind that gave you peace, and you just sort of went with that throughout your life. Well, I've done a lot of good things, or 
I'm not such a bad person, or there's people worse than me, or God wouldn't, God loves us too much to, to send somebody to hell. All things that you've perhaps conjured up in your own mind. Have you ever thought about what the Bible says? You know you can have full assurance. First John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible says we're all sinners. And I, as I said, I think we would all admit that, wouldn't we? We're all sinners. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. We're doomed for an eternity in hell. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John 3.3 says, Except the man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. But Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. There's no other way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You need God to extend to you grace and mercy. And what did we say earlier in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen that he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy, talking about our transgressions. It's available to you if only you would ask for it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I read First John 1, 9 a few moments ago. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? Do you believe that he rose again three days later? And are you ready to ask him to forgive you of your sins? Are you ready to turn away from your old lifestyle, doing things your way? And will you follow after God? Admit your sin and guilt to him. Confess your sins. Tell him the things that you've done wrong. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross for you, was buried, and rose again. And ask God to forgive you and tell him that you want his help in changing your life and helping you repent from sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I hope you trust Christ today. I hope you come to that point where you ask him to forgive you of your sins. If we can help, please reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com. Maybe you only want us to pray for you. Feel free to ask us through that. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game Program. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him... You can't even see the top of that thing!
living. Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back into the show. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta, closing out another week of the Beyond the Game program, going all the way back to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk for this one. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. After Michigan lost Monday night's NCAA title game against Villanova 79-62, Wolverine head coach Jim Beeline knows well the feeling of disappointment. After all, Monday's loss was the second time he lost in the national championship game without a victory, the first being against the Louisville team, which would eventually be forced to vacate that title. Life isn't always fair, and it can be those times when a coach can best teach his players the importance of keeping a good perspective after the game, Beeline told reporters that, quote, this is why I coach, to be in that locker room right now with these kids, to have that opportunity to tell them this is life. Life may not always go your way. You may not always get the win, but there are lessons in both victory and in defeat. And the influence of a great coach in helping his players to find those lessons is invaluable and is what I like this week. What I like this week was that golfer Tony Finale was able to play in the Masters after appearing to dislocate his ankle and pop it back into place. Finau had injured his ankle celebrating a shot during Wednesday's Par 3 contest, but he was cleared to play on Thursday and diagnosed with only a high ankle sprain. Tony Finau being able to play in the Masters is what I liked you like this that? week. You like that? that was so much fun to watch him celebrate that shot. What an incredible mm-hmm. shot, first of all. But yeah. just the joy that he had and just takes off running. And unfortunately, that ankle twist was, boy, it looked ugly. It looked painful. It I'm looked sure it real was. Bad. But, yeah, I'm glad he was able to play and play well, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you see that video of the shot. If you've seen it, you see yeah. his kid just jumping up and down. I think it's his kid. Actually, I don't know who it is. But that little kid just jumping up and down all excited it was just it was it was great to see but you know on another note zach you have a bit of useless information that we haven't had on the program in a while so give us your useless information you have a lot of useless information in your head it's as useless as the winter olympics you are useless ignacio Okay, in 1968, over the course of the entire Major League Baseball season, 289 pitchers were used, which is a number that includes both starters and relievers. Over the first four days of the 2018 season, 330 total pitchers were used, which is obviously 41 more 
It's just one more indicator of how the game has changed and how specialized pitching staffs have become these days. That's an amazing stat because that game, the game has changed so much. You're talking about already more pitchers being used than an entire season. I mean, the complete game is a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. And in this era of analytics, which you enjoy so much, you have the matchups. This guy's coming in for one batter and a pitcher's only going twice through the lineup. They're not going to let him go through that third time, no matter how well they're pitching. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that have done, I mean, we talk about the Yankees bullpen and how good it is, but they didn't invent that. That's been around for several years now, and you get teams that put together these killer deep bullpens. If you got a pitcher that might struggle the third time through the order, why would you leave him in there? You know, you go five and fly, and you pitch your your, your uh, guys out of the bullpen and try to lock it up, so a lot of teams are following that. That's it for this week's show. This has been the Beyond the Game program. Thanks so much for being with us today. I'd like to ask you to consider partnering with our team here at Beyond the Game to bring the gospel to thousands of listeners each week through Sports Talk Radio. Many of those listeners, in fact, hearing it for the very first time as they listen in on Secular Radio. This show doesn't happen without the financial support of listeners like yourself. Please consider making a donation to this radio ministry, or if you have a business, think about advertising with Beyond the Game. The Bible says in Isaiah 55:11, So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I have sent it. We don't always know how he may be at work, but as we talk about the things of God here on the Beyond the Game program, we trust that he will keep that promise and his word will not return void. For more information or to make a secure donation, visit our website, btgprogram.com. There you will also find more information about the show itself. You can listen to past broadcasts, and there's detailed information about how you can know Jesus Christ personally and receive the forgiveness of sins. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 